bring somebody over, what do you do? You run around the house and you clean, yes, everything from lint, dust. I mean, everything is spick and spam. And think about it like this. This morning we have the wonderful opportunity as a church, as a church, as, as us together, as a group, a body of believers, to welcome God. He's in this place. He lives in us, right? But we're going to worship him. And I tell you, there's nothing like corporate worship. When we get into this place and we sing towards God, amen? So this first song is called the welcome song. And you don't have to worry about looking your finest. It doesn't matter if you sing the best. It just matters right now in your heart that you're welcoming him. So right now, let's just close our eyes. And let's do that before we sing this song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in this place. Come on, church, let it come out your mouth this morning. You're welcome in this place, God. Take control. Take control, God. Come behind the will of our lives. We say we want more of you, God. Come and speak to our hearts. We're listening with our ears, God. Our hearts are wide open to receive you, God. Come pour out your power. Come pour out your grace. Come pour out your Holy Spirit. We say come. Come on, church. We say come, Lord. Come in this place. Welcome you.
burn for you. I'll stretch hands. I'll stretch hands. Reach for you. Come on, say open hearts. Open hearts. My heart is open, Lord. Burn for you. I'll stretch hands.
judge and our defender. Our judge and our defender, suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. He sent into darkness. Come in 
attitude of worship, I just want to read this scripture that God was putting on my heart as I was preparing this list for this week, and it's found in a, a book of the Bible that not many of us would stumble upon, but it's uh, Zephaniah 3.17, and before I, I um, share this verse, I just want to share a little background to it. And um, everything that happens in the Bible, God, God does and God knows. And, and in this part and passage of the Bible, it's dealing with the Israelites and how they turned away from God and God had allowed for them to be conquered. God had allowed for people to come over them and oppress them, put them in slavery. And you're thinking to yourself, like, man, God is love. How could he do that? Like, that's not the God I know. That's not the New Testament God. That's the Old Testament God, but remember, he is the same God. He doesn't change. Amen? He is the same God. He doesn't change. But he had allowed his people, his chosen ones, to go through that because they turned away from God. He says, man, you know what? If that's much greater, I'm going to allow you to go through this. And he sent people to oppress them. But when the people repented of their sin and returned to them, God saved them. He brought them out of it. In Zephaniah 3.17 you know the little chapters, it says a faithful remnant, joy in God's faithfulness. It says like this, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And that was God's promise to the people. Hey, listen, you're going to have it so good. I'm going to come back and save you that I'm going to quiet you in my love. I'm going to rejoice over you with singing. And this next song talks a little bit about that. How, Lord, I'm amazed by you. Come on, have you ever been through something where you're just like, man, I'm just so stressed? Like, literally, you feel stress in your body and it's causing you to be sick. Little things you can't control, constantly worrying and worrying. And then God comes through. Maybe he doesn't do it in your timing, but he comes through. God is faithful to you, amen? And that promise, yes, he gave it to the Israelites, but guess what? He gives it to you right now. Come on, so we're all eyes closed in this place. We're going to prepare to sing this next song, but I want us to have a heart and understanding that God is over us. He's singing out to us. His love it pours out, and in his love we have everything that we need. Such a great love that quiets all the doubt, that quiets all the fear. What amazing love we find in Jesus Christ. 
Come on, would you receive it in this place? God, we're amazed by you. We're amazed by you, Lord. songs of promises over you. Oh, he gives you his spirit, he gives you his word. There's strength for you this morning.
You can't help but recall all the times that he was there. You can't help but recall the love that was showered upon you when you felt unworthy, when you felt like you didn't deserve it. We should all be amazed by our Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who left the glories of heaven to come to this earth to die for us. And I want to read to you, before we sing that again, I want to read to you from Psalm 139. And if you cannot be amazed by our God who created us, who created the universe, who formed the stars, he calls out the stars by name. The Bible says he calls you the apple of his eye. He's engraved you on the palm of his hand. He sees you. He knows you. We have an amazing God who should amaze us. In Psalm 139, it says, For you created my inmost being. This is King David speaking. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. You, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. That's our God. I want us to close our eyes and lift up our hands. And I want us to declare this, that, Lord, you amaze us. There's people in this room 
that you need to feel the love of Jesus. You haven't experienced it yet. You haven't felt it. But I want you to know that God is for you. He is with you. His love is lavished upon you. But you have to accept it. For those lovers of Jesus in this room, let's sing this again. Lord, I am amazed by you. Come on, from the top of your voice, from the bottom of your heart, let's declare this to our Savior, to our King. children and this morning we say thank you Jesus we thank you Jesus we thank you Jesus your love is so amazing let's give the Lord the Lord a hand clap of praise come on he is awesome Jesus is so good look to your neighbor give them a high five as we dismiss our king's kids right now our children are going to go into the back Lord, you are amazing. Praise the Lord. For those that may not know me, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here, and I'm going to preach the gospel to you this morning. And the gospel is good news. There is good news for you here. In the church, which represents the body of Christ, we are all one big family connected to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like that song that we sing. I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ his Son, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. We are all connected. We are his body, and there is life here. And there is good news for you today. If you are not living right for God, if you have not been born again and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to listen to this message because this verse is going to be for you. In John 5, 24, it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. And what Jesus wanted to do when he came to this earth as he was raising up his disciples and preaching the gospel on the streets and declaring the good news that he was here. He was here to heal the brokenhearted. He was here to heal sicknesses and diseases. He told them, 
if you hear my word and you believe him who sent me, he wanted them to understand that he was sent by God the Father and he himself was God in the flesh. Jesus, the Son of God. And that's the basis of our salvation. So I want you to ask yourself, do you believe in Jesus? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. Do you accept the word of God as the only truth, the absolute truth that we must live our life upon? Because the scriptures declared and explained that when we believe that Jesus came, was sent by God the Father to die for our sins, to take our place, that is the, that is the point of salvation. That if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And then we have the guarantee of salvation. It's not maybe I'll make it to heaven. It's not maybe if I try hard enough and do good enough. It's no. When we believe it. When we accept Jesus as the only way, we've crossed over from death to life. With all eyes closed all across this room, if you want to cross over today from death to life, to get off of the road of destruction, because it is very clear in the Bible that unless a man is born again, we cannot get to heaven, and we're not promised tomorrow, and there is no other way. It's only through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus that we're saved. And I want to pray for you this morning, and as I pray, I want you to ask Jesus to come into your heart. I want you to confess your sins and say, God, I want to get right with you today. Lord, I thank you for every single person in this room. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would convict of sin. Lord, I pray that they would accept you, that they would believe your word, that they would know that there is no other way, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And they could cross over today from death to life, from darkness into light, oh God. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that by your loving kindness, you would draw them to repentance today, that their lives would be changed forever, and they would be guaranteed eternal life in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. You could please stand up to your feet with me this morning. During our fellowship time, we're going to have our prayer workers here to the side, Pastor Griselda and Pastor Jared. If you were serious during that prayer time and you want to get right with God, you can have the opportunity to receive prayer and find out how to get discipled in this church. So I really want to encourage you to do that because we have good stuff going around here. And you don't have to walk this journey with the Lord by yourself. You can have uh, friends by your side to really be encouraged to go after God. We're going to confess our faith this morning together as a church family. This is our Christian worldview, and this is why we recite it week after week. We want to let the world know, and we want to declare that this is how we see the world and what we stand upon. So on the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. In the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind, 
is by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone and for the glory of God alone. Come on, clap it up for Jesus. Spend some time hanging out. Go meet somebody you don't know. Give them a hug and welcome them here to MPI. As distant hearts begin believing Redemption's big is praise today come on make some noise it's always fun to be in the house of the lord worshiping together we want to welcome all of you to metro praise international this morning especially if this is your first time here welcome on behalf of all of the pastors we are so thankful and grateful that you joined us here so we want to encourage you to keep on coming and get plugged in into all that we have to offer our services here are every sunday at 10 a.m and 1 p.m and then we have elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. for ages 11 to 18 years old. That's Elevate, our youth group. They're doing awesome for Jesus. We have this announcement for you guys. Join us for our All Nations Dinner. We want you to be there November 15th at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. for both services. We are going to have an All Nations Feast, okay? So we want you guys to bring uh, the best dish from your nation that represents your culture to share with us. So we are all pumped about that. 
and we're just looking forward to a great time of fellowship, fun, getting the word, and then filling up our bellies. Our um, vision here is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. And those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And that's how we want to live. And our discipleship strategy here is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. Look to your neighbor and say, get connected. If you turn around your handout, they're actually being passed out right now. Turn it around and you will see our life group schedule. Somebody say life groups. That is how you get connected here. It's through our life groups. So we want you to take a list, take a look at this list of life groups and find the place that meets the needs of you and your family. There's so many different kinds, types of life groups, places where they meet, times and days. Find one that fits you because we want you to get connected here. And that's one of the ways that it starts, getting connected to the church and getting connected to Jesus through our life groups. And here's a snapshot of what's happening this week. We like to give this to you guys every Sunday. So today we're kicking it off with our single moms life group. Come on, make some noise, ladies. It, child care will be included. It's, they're meeting at 5 p.m. Then Wednesday we have our King's Kids life group that meets every week, infant to 11, uh, 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Thursday we have our gang outreach ministry life group that goes out 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Meet at that address. Powerful time of winning um, the the people that are in gangs out of that lifestyle, really ministering to them. Friday, every week, we have two adult Bible studies for you. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Walker's house, 18 years and up. Child care is included there, and they meet at 7 p.m. every Friday. If you are an adult, that's where you want to be on Friday nights. Get connected. It's a powerful time of fellowship, the word, and just being around your brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's so encouraging and refreshing. Saturday, we have the ambassadors. Come on, Elevate Life Group. 11 to 18 years old for that one, 3 p.m. meeting here at the church. And Saturday, our evangelism team goes out. All ages are welcome for that. Meet at the church at 5 p.m. And we want to challenge and encourage you guys. Check that out if you've never preached the gospel on the streets or shared your faith on the streets. It will really grow you in your walk with the Lord. And you will see the need of the world around you through the eyes of Jesus. And it will just break your heart. And that's the place that we always want to be. And the Bible says, he who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. So if you need a refreshing, go out on the streets and refresh people with the good news of Jesus. Come on. Who wants to do that this Saturday? Who's with me? Come on. Talk to Pastor Jared. Let's do it. Then we want to mentor you. We have leaders ready to take you through the 101 book, which is called Welcome to Your New Life. So if you're new to the church or you've come from another church and you're saying God is calling me here, we want you to go through this with one of our leaders uh, joyfully. And it's a, dis a journey of discipleship. And when you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. The discipleship journey will continue. You'll be encouraged and you'll be raised up and trained to be a leader in the church. Then we want to send you out to keep winning more souls for the Lord. And our goal here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you want to be a part of that, say amen. Come on. We're going 10 years strong. God is doing it. You're here for a reason. We all rally together. We'll see God's call upon this church fulfilled in our lifetime. We want to believe 100,000 in our lives, and we want to meet at Soldier Stadium one day. Who's with me? Who, who would like to see all the Metro Praise International churches meeting at Soldier Field? Come on. I know I do. We're going to learn about tithes and offerings. Today we are on Section 3 of the book, Disciples Giving Book. You can follow along on the screen. We are on Lesson 13. 
Stewards are generous. We need to be generous as believers. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. Let's read in Acts chapter 2, 44 through 45. Acts 2, 44 through 45. All the believers were together, say together, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Let's read the three main points from that verse. Number one, all believers were together. The books of Acts describes the book of Acts describes the ideal church in which all present churches should aspire to be. The first church set the prime example of perfect unity in the cause of Christ. As believers, as a church of Jesus on this earth, we should be united with one mind and one purpose, to preach the good news and to take care of the needs of people. That's what Jesus wanted us to do. That's what they did. And that's why they were, that together means they were in unity. Somebody say unity. Number two, sold property and possessions. Notice how the disciples first had to own things such as valuable possessions and extra houses to even be able to sell them to give as offerings. Therefore, they were not all poor or struggling. Many were prosperous enough to give generously to God's people. So it doesn't matter your economic status. Living for the Lord, whether you're poor or rich, God wants us to all be generous, and he wants us to prosper because if we're prospering, we'll have more to, to give, to be blessed, to be a blessing, as we always say. And number three, gave to anyone who had need. And I want to commend you, Metro Praise International, because you guys exemplify the Church of Acts in this area of generosity and meeting the needs of the people. And for those that may not know, we have a Facebook MPI Good Samaritan and Prayer page. If you want to check it out, people in the church are constantly putting up pictures of things they want to give away, and not even a cost, not a penny. You know, a lot of people in our American society, they like to have garage sales, and that's okay. But some of that stuff, it's like, just give it away. Look to your neighbor and say, just give that stuff away. Amen? Let's meet the needs of the people. And so I really want to commend you guys are awesome. So gave to anyone who had need. The needs of those in the church were met by those who could afford to give generously. Therefore, if everyone is poor, everyone will stay poor. However, if people prosper, they can help the needy to be poor no more. Look to your neighbor say, be poor no more. You are blessed to be a blessing. And no matter if we have a lot or if we have a litter, a little, litter, whether we have a lot or whether we have a litter, <laughs> a lot or a little, we all have to be generous. Just because we don't have enough to give doesn't mean we're stingy, okay? And just because we have a lot doesn't mean we need to be greedy and hoard it all for ourselves. Say, everyone needs to be generous. Here's a summary. Pray that God will prosper you so you can be generous and help others in need. Because if we have more, we can give more. Here's the application. Let's apply it. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, work hard and use wisdom to gain worldly wealth so you can be generous in giving to missions, drug rehabs, community programs, orphanages, and the like. Number three, once you are prosperous, having enough to meet your needs and able to give generously, teach others how to be prosperous. For it is always better to give a hand up than just a handout. We want to give a hand up for people. Let's confess this on the count of three over our lives together. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. 
We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. If you can, please stand up to your feet with me this morning as we prepare to give the Lord our very best, our tithes and offerings. Again, here at MPI, we believe that a tithe is 10% of your total income, and anything above that is an amount between you and the Lord, which is called an offering, that we designate towards missions and building. And we are in a building fund. We're raising the money for that lit-up sign to go over the front of the, the storefront here. We just thank you so much for partnering with us. God is moving. We're so close, and we're really excited to be able to have that lit-up going into this winter, cold, dark season. God is good. We're going to be glowing. I know I always say that, but I'm really excited about that sign. Uh, we have two other convenient ways for you to give or purchase items in the church using your debit or credit cards. We really want to make that convenient for you. One is online at our easy-to-use website uh, or in the back with e either myself or Pastor Griselda. We could help you out with that. Let's recite this verse together. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness to our lives, God. And we want to follow your example of generosity. For you gave freely. And we, in turn, want to give freely, God. We want to be generous. We don't want a spirit of greed to rule our life. So I pray that you would continue to prosper and bless your people so that we could be blessed to be a blessing. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you would take the offering and take these tithes, God, that are being offered to you so that we can meet the needs of your people. Uh, continue to build your church in the city and win the nations for you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Please come forward as you give today. And thank you so much for your generosity. you love Jesus, can I get a what, what? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good to see you, neighbor. Come on. Good to see you. Good to see you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. My brother, what's going on, man? Good to see you. Mm. Matthew chapter 6. 
We're learning about the kingdom. How many are happy to be in the kingdom of God? Amen. If you are in the kingdom of God, you are in the best place to be. There's no other place I'd rather be in the kingdom of God. Now, some of you, you guys are looking forward to the Cubs game Monday. How many want to see the Cubs win? Make some noise. And how many would be happy if they made it all the way to the World Series? Make some noise. Now, how many haters are in the house, a.k.a. Sox fans? Come on. Y'all don't get to make noise, but you did on your own. No, I'm kidding. This is the thing that I don't understand. I'm not a Chicagoan. I don't pretend to be one. Every time I've tried, I don't fit in. You know what I'm saying? I was born and raised in the cornfields of Indiana. But here, it's just a simple thing to me. Chicago teams should win. Okay, so I don't understand. Sox fan, why would you want the Cardinals to win? Are you guys just haters? I don't understand. And I'm telling you the truth. I said the same thing when you guys won the World Series and Cubs fans were hating. I'm like, I don't understand this. One of our teams just won, you know, because I was from Fort Wayne, Indiana. No professional teams. The closest that we had was the Indianapolis Colts. I don't even think Indiana has a baseball team, do they? No baseball team. So, I mean, just be happy. Everybody just look at your neighbor and be happy. It's up to you whether or not you want to do it, but be happy for the Cubs. I'm in the kingdom of God whether the Cubs make it to the World Series or not. Isn't that awesome? That's what I wanted to say today is whether the Cubs win or not, I'm still happy because my righteousness, my peace, my joy does not come from them. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to learn about today. So if you could just turn up the monitors a little bit for me, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're in the Lord's Prayer. Today's message is called Righteousness, Peace, and Joy in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, depending if you're old school or not. How many learned it as Holy Ghost? Raise your hand. How many learned it as Holy Spirit? Raise your hand. Same thing, but yeah, I'd like to go old school. Okay, here we are in the Lord's Prayer. We've been praying it out every week as we've been in our sermon series, The Kingdom of God. So let's read it together and pray it together. One, two, three. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everybody said, amen, amen. Could you turn up the mains just a little bit? I need some help this morning. I want you to see that key phrase, and this is the sermon series, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Everybody say the kingdom of God. Thank you. This whole entire fall, we've been talking about it, starting in September. Now we're in October. We're learning about the kingdom of God. I want to give you guys a great definition of the kingdom of God. If you're new, here it is. It's a review for you if you're not. The kingdom of God is the Father's dominion over all creation, ruled by his Son and our King, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to talk to the sound men right now. Look at your neighbor and talk to them about the Holy Spirit. Sound men, turn it down a little bit here and point these at me, somebody, please, so I can hear it from my monitors a little bit off today. I don't want to be shouting loud. Thank you. Do you like the Holy Spirit? Is he your friend? Did you know the secret handshake? Because we did it what? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Woo! Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do Do the Holy Ghost handshake with somebody, please. Can you turn up these monitors? I don't know what's going on. Just put them up louder for me. Por favor. Ellie, would you help them? Thank you. This is the kingdom of God, the Father's dominion over all creation. Thank you. That's what I needed right there. Thank you. Does everybody, can you guys tell the difference? It's like it comes better from down here, right? Boom. That's how I like it. 
So check this out. The kingdom of God is more than just earth. It also includes heaven. God created heaven and he rules up there. And he also rules down here. So it's the Father's dominion over all creation. But how does he rule? The Father rules through his Son. And what's the Son's name? Jesus Christ. Did Jesus, was Jesus born on De- December 25th? Or did he always exist? He always existed, right? So when we look at Christmas and being uh, celebratory of Jesus coming to earth, it's not of a birth. It's what we call an incarnation. That means Jesus took on flesh. So he was always ruling in heaven with the Father. Now guess what? Another thing to think about, did the Holy Spirit, let me ask you as a question, did the Holy Spirit exist before Pentecost and him coming down to be with us? Or was he always with the Father and the Son? He was always there. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always ruled in heaven. When they brought the kingdom here in the Garden of Eden, we rejected God, and God left the earth to man. And then man had to do the laws to please God. That's the Old Testament. But Jesus came. Everybody say, Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill the law. That means to graduate, to pass, to do what we could not do in those 600-plus commandments that the Jewish people had. When he did that, he died on the cross for all the sins, breaking of the laws that we did. Have you guys ever broke any of God's laws? Look at your neighbor and tell them some of the laws you know they've broken. (laughs) Come on, how well do you know your neighbor? Don't be shy. Come on, sister-in-laws, don't be shy. Oh, I know you've broken some laws. Husbands and wives, you need to tell each other. I know. <laughs> I know. Don't, don't you love when I do stuff like that? Tell your neighbor how they broke the laws of God. See, you come to church, we're going to judge you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you know what? If you know somebody, it's the truth, right? You can't say I'm judging you if I heard you curse out the person, you know, yesterday at the grocery store. I'm not judging you. I'm just reflecting you. I am reminding you, hello, somebody. So when we look at Jesus coming to earth, it's to establish the kingdom. So when he's teaching us to pray this prayer, is it a real prayer? Is it something like he really expects to happen? So this is before Jesus was crucified, and he's telling us to pray this at that time that the kingdom would come. Do you think Jesus gets an answer to his prayer? Well, let's look at the rest of it. Do we now have daily bread? How many ate some bread this morning? Some toast, right? How many are going to eat some bread? Some tortas, amen? That's what we had yesterday at my house, some tortas and tacos and all types of good, and pizza too, by the way. Okay, how many of you believe you have forgiveness of sins? How many believe you have that? Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. How many believe that you can avoid temptation? Because the Holy Spirit's been sent. He can guide you. Galatians chapter 5 says, stay in step with the Spirit, and you will not give in or gratify the deeds of your flesh. So if if all of these other things have happened, if, if God has blessed you with daily bread, if sins have been forgiven, if the Holy Spirit leads you not into temptation, delivers you from evil, then what about this part right here? Well, that's where we learned about last week. The kingdom of God has come through the Holy Spirit. So watch it. Father creates, Son dies on the cross, resurrects, and then Father and Son send the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And what was the evidence that the Holy Spirit had come? Acts chapter 1 says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, that means it was a Jewish festival, Pente, 50, 50 days after Passover. They celebrated harvest time, and it was symbolic in the Jewish mind of God doing something great. 
right on that day, Jesus was crucified on Passover. Fifty days later, the Holy Spirit comes, and then the Bible says they spoke in other tongues. They had a manifestation of the power and became God's witnesses, Jesus' witnesses. Therefore, we're not just waiting for the earthly sign of the kingdom to come with the king ruling and the end times and judgment. We know that now the kingdom is breaking through by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is there and here within me, and I'm waiting it, waiting for it to come in the future. Do you guys remember when we first started this sermon series and I taught you this? Does anybody remember? Does any, no, like two of you because no one else is laughing. Listen, can I tell you guys when I taught this before Kingdom of God series, okay? This is right here. You go to our website. You'll see all the messages I preach on the Kingdom of God. Everybody go, that's neat. Yeah, we do this for you guys because we want you to remember stuff like this. Here was the first sermon. Some of you guys are like, that was so long ago, man. I can't remember that. You know, watch. Here we go. Remember we talked about the kingdom of God. And by the way, after the sermon goes up, there goes the, the video on top of the notes. Okay, remember we talked about that? There is the kingdom there in heaven. The kingdom is there. But then the kingdom comes where? The kingdom comes here. When did that happen? When Jesus died, buried, rose again, and sent the Holy Spirit. The kingdom came here. Now, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the kingdom coming, which is the physical rule and reign of Christ upon the earth, on a throne, all of us being judged, the Antichrist being judged, the devil being thrown into a pit. Do you guys ever read the book of Revelations? It's pretty scary stuff, but we're waiting for that. How many are waiting for that? That's going to be cool, right? It's going to be awesome. Okay. What I'm trying to say is, in review, we have to understand that now the kingdom is here. The prayer is being answered. The Lord's prayer is actually being answered. We get the kingdom now. It's inside of us. And the church, watch this, is a little microcosm, a little example of the kingdom coming. So us gathering here today, singing songs to Jesus, that's what it's going to be like after Judgment Day when he rules and reigns upon the earth in Jerusalem. We'll be worshiping a literal king. Are you with me? How we're gathering here today, talking about him. Hey, how was your week? How is it going? In the kingdom of God coming upon this earth, we will be real, ruling and reigning, the Bible says, as governors, rulers, princes, and leaders, and, 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 and leaders among the people here for a thousand years. And we'll be gathering, talking about how we're ruling and judging the earth. You may say, I've never heard that before. That's because you haven't read the Bible before. This is in the Bible. I was teaching you guys this. How many were here when I taught about this? i got to stop being sassy with some of you, but I really need your help right now. Because I don't want to keep being sassy. How many literally remember me talking about this? Because I'm seeing a lot of blank stares right now. Okay, thank you. So what we're talking about today is understanding is that the kingdom of God playing off of yesterday's uh, last week's message because I don't want us to forget it and be like that was you know, that was weird and now we just move on to something else. No, that's like a big part of the series was me explaining to you how the kingdom has come to earth now, how God is with us now. When Jesus was here, that's what he was all about. He was like, there is going to be a time where the comforter, the Holy Spirit comes and he's going to empower you and he's going to tell you more than what I've been able to tell you in these three years. And 
You're going to be my witnesses, and this gospel will be preached to the end of the earth, this gospel of the kingdom, and then the end will come. And so while we're here, we're kingdom citizens. While we're here, the Bible actually calls us in another place kingdom ambassadors. We're representing the kingdom of God. We're telling people that there is a king, and he's coming to judge you, and you need to get ready because he is going to judge according to his word. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, because of all of that, I want to teach you what it's like to be in the kingdom of God now, today, not waiting for it to come, but now. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Now we're in the kingdom of God. So after the Holy Spirit came. Yes. Can I do that? You got to stand up, stand up. So after the kingdom of God came through the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes. I gotta forgive him. I gotta forgive him. He played me. You're laughing at me. Mm, that's messing with me <laughs> a little bit. I'm serious. Okay, Romans 14. Look at it. Now Paul is talking about the kingdom is here. Like he's saying the kingdom is here now in us. He's not just saying we're going to wait for it one day. He said, no, 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 it's here now. And he talks about it all the time in his epistles, in his letters to the churches. Epistle is a letter to a church like Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is a letter to the church in Ephesus. There could have been a book named Chicagoans, a letter to the people of Chicago. Are you tracking? Timothy, Titus, Philemon, these are books written to the people. So it could be a book of Marcel, written to Marcel. Let's not over-spiritualize it. This is practical knowledge being given through these scriptures, okay? So Paul is talking here in the book of Romans, and guess who he's writing to? Guess where they live? Rome. Rome. My man, give it up for Daryl, Big D. He's writing the book of Romans to people living in Rome. Now watch what he says. Look at this. For the kingdom of God, and he's, he's been talking about it like it's there with him now, and we understand it's because of the Holy Spirit, and you'll, you'll see it even clearer, but he's just talking about it as a practical thing. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. Everybody say righteousness. Thank you. Everybody say peace. Thank you. And say joy. Come on. In the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way, and what is the way? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. How many want to be pleasing to God? And how many want to receive human approval? Amen. And we'll talk about that if we have time. So track with me here. Paul is saying the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking, but it's about righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, why is he contrasting eating and drinking versus righteousness, peace, and joy? Well, because in this whole chapter, people are fighting in the church about what it means now to be in the kingdom of God, what it means to be spiritual, to be living for God. And there's some people that are being very legalistic and they're being very rigid and they're trying to make everybody suck on lemons and be as boring as they are. Okay, so there's one group saying, you can't eat meat. God made these beautiful animals. You can only be a vegetarian. And they tried to start making all the meat eaters feel bad. That was an argument in the church. And how many are glad the meat eaters won? Can I get a whoop whoop? Amen. I will eat Bambi. I will eat, I'll eat anything. Like you saw that picture of the dentist who killed the lion. I'm like, when did they eat the lion? I want to eat the lion. Like, what does lion taste like? Because the Bible says animals. You guys get nervous when I talk. I'll eat your dog. I'll scare you even more. I'll eat any animal 
that's on this earth. I'll, I'll eat a gorilla. I'll eat an ape. I'll eat any. I'll eat a parakeet. I'll eat any animal. Because the Bible says that's what they're here for. You can call it a pet. You can do whatever you want with it. But we all get hungry enough. Walking dead stuff starts happening. We got to live in a bunker. I'm eating your dog. I'm, I'm frying your cat. Amen. People told me a long time ago, they were like, oh, there's horse, because I shop at Aldi's. I love me some Aldi's. And they're like, oh, there's horse meat in Aldi's. I'm like, that's why it tastes so good. I, m- I must be loving horse meat. Give me, give me some black stallion horse meat. I'll eat it right now. I'll eat a thoroughbred. I'll eat a donkey. I'll eat a sheep. I'll eat anything. If you know, any animal, I'll eat a tarantula. I'll fry up a cricket with my, with my rasa. You know what I'm saying? I will do does any Mexican people here eat crickets? Because I saw Salma Hayek. What's her name? Salma Hayek. I don't even know how to say her name. What is her name? You would know it. I don't know. One person, you, sir. You are the designated man to pronounce her name. Say it loud and say it proud. Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek. I saw a show with her eating fried crickets. You can look it up online. It's probably online. I don't care. I'll eat it all. But here's the point. They were arguing about that, and that wasn't the point. That wasn't what church is about. That isn't what the kingdom of God's about. Then there was another group that wanted to keep having church on Saturday because that's what Jewish people did. And there's a lot of now Gentiles, non-Jewish people getting saved in Rome. In Rome, they're not like Jerusalem folks. Romans were pagans. And they're getting saved, and they're saying, we worship God on any day. It doesn't matter what day we worship. And some people are saying, no, you only have to do it like this. In our day, it could be like a dress code. Maybe you went to a church and they said girls could only wear dresses or girls couldn't wear makeup, couldn't cut their hair. Or maybe they, they said you couldn't dance, you know, listen to good music. Seriously, I mean, there's a lot of laws that people make. Well, here's what Paul is saying right here. He's saying it's not about eating and drinking. It's not about these kinds of things. It's not about your legalistic laws. He says it's about righteousness, true righteousness. Because a lot of people I know that keep those laws, they're hypocrites. They're not truly living for God. Now, there are laws that God tells us to keep, a moral code, but it's not something that we do on the external to try to impress people. God's looking at my heart. I could pretend and fool all of you but never fool God. Are you guys tracking with me? So what we're going to learn is what true righteousness is, not religiosity. What true righteousness is, peace and joy. And then look at what he says. If I do that, I please God. So it doesn't matter what day I have church on. If I'm righteous and I have peace and I have joy, I please God. It doesn't matter whether or not I eat lechon pork or not eat pork. I please God. It doesn't matter if I drink alcohol in moderation or not drink alcohol because that's another hot topic in the church. And how many are glad you can drink alcohol here in moderation? Amen. Just don't get drunk, okay? Just have a good time and enjoy yourself. But here's the thing. You start getting drunk and all of that, you're not pleasing God. You drink in moderation, it's fine because it's not about that. What it's about is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, look at what it says to please God. That's obvious. Bam, I'm going to please God. But look at that next part. And I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but it says human approval there. The Bible also says that the fear of man brings a snare. So we're not trying to please man for man's sake. But what we do need to realize is that we do need to have approval of some kind of humans in our life. It is important. Like, do you want to have the approval of your boss when it comes to pay time? You want him to approve of your check and say, you know, he or she says, you earned this. I approve of your check, right? How many kids here, you know, young people, you want the approval of your parents? You want the approval of your mom? Yes, kind of. I'm looking at the one behind you. You're a good girl. You're saying yes. And Abigail's saying yes. But do you want your mom's approval? Yes. Trust me, you do. How many parents want their kids' approval? 
You want to be a good parent. You don't want your kid coming to the church going, my mom and dad are not nice. They don't love me. They don't treat me good. Pray for me. You want them to approve of you as a good parent. Now, how about this? This is the context here. Should the church approve of what we're doing? Yes. I don't need a pope. I don't need Father Tom. That is true. I don't have to confess my sins in the dark closet and be fed communion like a bird. I don't need that. But here's the deal. I do need to be a part of a church where people like Paul are there, where people like the disciples are there, and they're watching my life, and they're saying, that's righteous. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, that's peace. That's joy. Because if everybody's left to make their own decision of what righteous is, it can get pretty ratchet up in the church. Are you listening to me? We can confuse righteousness with ratchetness real quick. So there needs to be a consensus of what God is speaking through his word so you're not an island unto yourself. And that is a whole nother subject about godly leadership. So I don't have time to talk about human approval here today and how God uses elders and deacons. It is important. It is a part of our connect, mentor, send a teaching. You can get into that. But today I specifically want to talk about pleasing God by being righteous, full of peace and joy. Are you all ready for this? All right, let's talk about these three things. The first thing we want to look at is righteousness. I'm going to give you three aspects of each one of these words because they're big, all-encompassing words. I want to break them down a little bit through the scriptures so you can see what they look like. Let's start with righteousness, meaning the right standing with God. Go with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and I'm going to have to do both today because our mousy back there is broken. I don't know what happened to that old poor mousy. So be patient with me. And you guys should, while I'm doing all of this, open up your Bibles as well, because we all have time today. Romans 1.17, everybody say, right standing with God. Thank you. The first aspect that we learn about when it talks about being righteous in the kingdom of God right now, you are to be righteous in the kingdom of God. That means you're right with God. Righteous, right with God. It is the way we should be. Here's how we get righteous with God. For in the gospel, everybody say the gospel. Thank you. The righteousness of God is what? Revealed a what? Righteousness that is by faith from first to last. That means from the very first person who believed the gospel, which could have been like Peter or one of the disciples, to the last person, whenever that time is, 2,103, that could be our last year on planet earth, or it could be tomorrow, whoever that last person is, this is how they get righteousness, from first to last, it is by faith, just as it is written, the what? The righteous will live by faith, so the first thing we learn about righteousness is it's not by our good deeds, if you think you can be righteous by doing good deeds, you will never make the scale of God's judgment in the righteous category. One sin outweighs all of your good deeds. So let me give you an example. Let's say somebody committed murder and they stand trial and they go, yeah, I committed the murder. Yeah, I got mad. The person deserved it. Boom, I killed him. Now, let's say as their defense, they go, but my whole life, let's say they were my age, 38. They said, but my whole life, I've never murdered anybody else. And I've always been good to my wife, my kids. I was a good pastor, whatever. Does all of those good deeds 
make the judge say, well, let's forget about the murder then. Let's erase that because your good deeds erase that one murder. Does that, does that happen in our justice system? No, and our justice system is built upon common sense and our conscience, which God gave us. So why do I have a sense of judgment when it comes to that? Because I can understand no matter all the good I did here, it doesn't make up for the bad I did here. One bad work here does not get erased by all the good works here. That is the concept of sin. One sin cannot be made up by a thousand good works, a million good works, an endless amount of good works. All other religions, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, all of them teach that good works can outweigh your bad works. But that has just been proven wrong by this little simple example of us looking at the justice system. Once again, that's in your heart, in the conscience, that you know that one sin could not be made up with all these good works. You just understood it. Unless you want a murderer to go free because you didn't murder anybody else, and he was good. He was good yesterday. He was good the day before. He was good the day before. Would you let the murderer go free? He says, I, I, my murder only took 20 seconds. Boom, boom, now they're dead. And I've lived a million seconds, million seconds of good, 20 seconds of bad. You're going to let him out? See, in your mind, you know that doesn't make sense. The religion of works is an endless cycle. You'll never erase one sin. How many sins have you done? How many have I done? Have we done just one? Just two? How many have you done just before you got up this, uh, you know, got up this morning before the church? Right? So the Bible teaches us that the only way righteousness, right standing with God is given is through faith in the gospel. Faith, that Greek word pistis, that means trust. It's the idea of you trusting God with your salvation. You trusting God to wash away your sins and give you his righteousness. And that's the second part that I want us to learn is that we need to know that righteousness is not only right standing with God, but it's being perfect in nature. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look out your neighbor and say, nobody is perfect until they get born again perfect. We're going to teach you what the Bible believe. Uh, we're going to teach you what the Bible teaches now about perfection. We're going to show you that the Bible does teach about perfection. I got to find my mousey. There it is. What do we turn into? Second Corinthians what? Five twenty-one. And I've got a good amount of time I want to spend on this one. Look at this scripture. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. So not only am I in right standing with God when I accept the gospel because, and I didn't get a chance to say this, because Jesus took my wrath, an innocent person took my wrath, I am now forgiven of sin. Not only am I in right standing with God in the kingdom, but my nature is changed to righteousness in the kingdom. Think of it exactly like this. Before you were a Christian, did you have any righteousness in you according to the Bible? No. Look at Romans chapter 3. Read it thoroughly. There is no one righteous, not even one. Their mouths, he says, are open graves. They speak deceit with one another. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The case is made so clear. None of us were righteous without Christ. But what does it say here? He who knew no sin became what for us? Sin for us. So who took my sin? Jesus, but he was perfect. Was Jesus perfect or imperfect? So a perfect person took my sin so that in him I might become what? Righteous. Now turn with me quickly to the book of Matthew. Turn Matthew again, chapter 5. 
And now you understand why Jesus said, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. Is Jesus a liar? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And I want you to look at this and tell me what it says. What does it say? Be jacked up? Make excuses for yourself? Go around, keep repeating, nobody is perfect, therefore you can live not perfect and be okay with God? What does the Bible say? Now, if you don't understand Greek, I understand it a little bit. I can translate this for you. I can give you the Greek words here to the side. I've showed you guys this in other services before. But as I'm doing this, I just want to ask you a question. Do you think that's going to change what this means? Do you think the Greek language, the original language, because everybody's like, every, you know, there's so many translation interpretations of the Bible. I don't know which one is right. Okay. Well, you think this changes it? Teleos. This is what the word means. Here it is. It means to be complete, full age, perfect. That's the word, perfect, brought to its end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to completeness, perfect. That is what that word means, lacking nothing, brought to completion. Be brought to completion morally as your father is complete morally. How is she going to interpret that? You might say, Pastor, I'm getting scared now. Well, that's what the Bible teaches. But once again, did I make myself perfect? Who made me perfect? Jesus, because he took my what? My sin. So just think of it like this. There was once no righteousness in me. Now there is no sin in me because Jesus took it. Without Jesus, I have no righteousness. With Jesus, I have no sin. Now, I have to play by his rules, though. His rules are whenever I sin, I repent. Why is that? So I can be restored to perfection. Grab me the bottle of water, please, and my towel, because I'm sweating. I need to preach up here. Please, come on. When you purify the bottled water, in our example here, the bottled water is pure. If I were to spit in that water, put dirt in that water, if I then were to purify it, it goes back to its prior state. Are you with me? Do you know that all your water gets recycled back into Lake Michigan, back into your faucet? Think of this example. God purifies you, but what state does he bring you back to? When you ask for forgiveness for the thing you've done, are you still jacked up? No, you're supposed to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness may be like a pebble in your shoe, but you take off your shoe, you get it off, you return to the default. The default of the believer is being perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Thank you. So imagine this is your life. This is salvation. This is what it means to be the righteousness of God. Stop telling yourself you are a sinner and it's okay to sin. You have been changed into a saint. You've been born again. You are in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is about righteousness. Right standing with God in inner transformation. I have been transformed. I once was a sinner, but now I'm a saint. Now you may say to yourself, well... Pastor, do you sin? Because you know what? I, I, I think if you're perfect, you should never sin again. And that's the problem that we have. We don't understand what the Bible means by being perfect in nature. Hence the reason of me writing this blog for you this week. So you can go back and look at it. Jesus said, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. The next thing that we learn is that P Peter said, through these, his great and precious promises, that you may participate in what nature? What kind of nature? Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So you say, well, I got so much evil inside of me. Well, escape them and become like God. If, if I have a million dollars and I let you share in my million dollars, you, get, you became what? A millionaire. If I'm a billionaire and I put you on my bank account, what are you sharing in right now? 
a billion dollars. If I own a Lamborghini and put your name on the lease or on, on the actual title, what are you an owner of right now? Hello, somebody. If the divine nature is in you right now, are you imperfect or are you perfect? If you're born again and you needed to get born again, everybody say born again. If you had to get born again, are you born again a sinner the second time? I thought you were born a sinner the first time. Now you get born again, again a sinner. Then you got to get born again, again, again. How many times you got to get born again until your heart is changed, until your life is changed? God is into transformation. I am not trying to be perfect. I am not trying to go after that. I am that, and that way I can live that. My son became a son first. Now he lives as a son. Think about it. He doesn't do something to become my son. He is a son. Now he lives as a son. I'm not doing something for perfection. I'm guarding perfection. I'm living out of perfection. I have been perfected in Christ. Even if I sin, I repent. Because that is not my nature. That is not who I'm supposed to be. Have you ever told your child, we don't act like that in this house? Why do you tell them that? Because in this house, they're supposed to live up to that name. Why is it Christians shouldn't act like that? Because they are to live up to the name of God. You are a Christian. Christ's life. Was he jacked up or was he perfect and holy? And what did he do with all your sins? He took them on the cross so you could be made holy. What does the Bible say here in Hebrews 10, 14? For by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are made holy. He did what by one offering? He has, I want to throw this microphone at somebody sleeping right now, not listening to me. He has done what by one offering? He has perfected for how long? All time, as long as you are with him, you are perfect in him. See, this is the thing you've got to understand. You're not your body. You are a spiritual soul living on the inside of this body. And one day you will shed this body and shine brighter than the sun, the Bible says. And from that identity in Christ, not on yourself, it's not on my own merit. I've already told you I have no righteousness in me. But on the righteousness of Christ, I stand perfected. I stand holy. Now somebody may notice there is a difference. There is a difference, my friend, between being perfect and acting perfect. Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody wrote a blog about that so you could understand the difference? Because when you say nobody is perfect, I say nobody without Christ is perfect. That's right. We're all born sinners. But when you tell me you're still not perfect and you've been born again, I ask you, then what got born again? Your little toe? You got a new haircut? Because if your spirit got born again, it got perfected. It was made holy. And then some people say, well, I'm achieving holiness. I'm achieving perfection. I'm achieving all of this. You're going to be trying for a long time, and you won't achieve nothing. The gospel is by faith. The gospel is admitting I'm not and he is. I'm a sinner and he is righteous. Then by that acknowledgement, by that faith, the Bible says righteousness is given. There is a righteousness in the gospel for the Jew first, then for the Gentile. For the Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. Y'all aren't even ready for this. I got a poem at the end. I'm going to break on you too. So, so what does the Christian do if he sins? If this water gets polluted, what do I do? I pray the prayer of forgiveness. You see, some of you think the prayer of forgiveness is a, is a gerbil in a wheel just spinning around and never changing. No, the prayer of forgiveness is because that is dirty now. I'm not in the water plant of heaven being purified every day. You ever see a progress bar on your computer about something downloading? It's not like when I got saved, I was like 1% perfect. Like God said, I'm going to start you off at 1%. 
And then I prayed and read my Bible and I ran really hard. <laughs> and then now I'm progressing to 5%. And then one day I'll be at 50%. No, the Bible says I was born again. I became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I was perfected for all time by the one offering of Jesus. That's what happened when I was born again, baby. I don't know what you did, but that's what happened in me. But when I sin... I know that I've sinned because I'm a Christian now and I have a consciousness of sin. Before, pornography didn't feel bad. Cursing didn't feel bad. But now it feels like a pebble in my shoe. It feels like dirt upon my face. It's not how I'm supposed to be. I know there's something wrong. It's called conviction. Have you ever felt it? And then I repent and I say, clean me, Jesus. Wash me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus, so I can be who you called me to be out of being comes doing I be a child of God that's how I can do the things a child of God does the Bible then says in Galatians 5 24 that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire where does the Christian's evil desires come from his body that brain that dies your mind and brain are separate are you with me mind and brain are separate brain dies brain can have Alzheimer's mind is in your soul lives on past your body how many believe once your body dies you'll be able to still have a mind in heaven you won't be in heaven like you'll have a mind in heaven because your mind controls your brain are you with me hello so the brain has memories of sin stored in it it has agitations. I pop you in the nose right now, fellas. You're going to want to get it on whether you're a Christian or not. We show nudity in this place. People are going to feel hormonally. They're, they're going to have pheromones. Are you listening to me? So the Bible says the flesh, the thing that causes anger and jealousy and all of this, it should be considered crucified with Christ. So that is the battle. Yes, there is a battle to not sin. And that's why I pray. Deliver me, uh, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. How much evil do you think God wants me to be delivered from, some or all? Do you think there's ever a time when evil comes my way, God's like, go ahead and get you some. Do you think there's ever a time where evil comes my way and God's like, hey, angels, give them a freebie on this one. Let them have a little bit of that. So anytime I have sinned as a Christian, God says, you didn't have to do that because I was there to deliver you from evil. But now he's gracious to forgive us. So I need to count my, my flesh crucified. Don't listen to your body. Listen to your spirit. Don't listen to your hormones, fellas. Listen to your spirit. Don't listen to what your brain concocts of jealousy and feelings and rage and all of these things of the flesh, the Bible says, which comes from the earth and will die and turn to dust because it's been cursed because of Adam and Eve. Listen to what the Spirit says. The Spirit and flesh, they are at an enmity. They're at war with each other. But the Christian counts it as dead and says, I'm more than a conqueror over this. Amen? Now you may say, well, pastor, what happens if I sin? Listen, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. My children, I write this to you that you will not. So John, the same guy who wrote the gospel of John, wrote you something, and he wants you to know about it. What does he want you to know? I wrote you this, that you will not, that you will not cuss out your neighbor, that you will not lust, that you will not have sex outside of marriage, that you will not lie, steal, cheat, all this. I write this to you that you don't sin. Because you have been changed. You're not a sinner anymore. You are a saint. Guys, saint is not Saint Cletus or Saint whoever. Listen, the saints of the Bible, read it, are the saints. They're the people in the church. Hagios in the Greek. 
holy one. Saints are alive. They're sitting next to you right now. I am a saint in Christ. Are you a saint in Christ? Are you a saint or an ain't? Come on. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. No excuse for sin. But if anybody does sin, we, see the we here are the Christians, those perfected in Christ. The sinner can come, but yes, the believer has more of a right for forgiveness because they don't want to keep on sinning. They want to live free from sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the what one? The righteous one, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So if you're here today, you don't know Jesus, come be cleansed, be perfected in Christ. You do know Jesus, you're living in sin, repent, and live out your perfection in Christ, because you know he has changed you and made you a new creation. All things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Now you might say, Pastor, can you put this in a poem so I can understand it better? Yes, I have a nice little, yeah, you're welcome. Here's a nice poem so you can understand it better. I was born a sinner, nothing good. <coughs> Sorry, one more time. Get nervous now. <coughs> I'm so serious. That's the weirdest time to do that. I was born a sinner, nothing good was in me. Since meeting Jesus, I was born again a saint. Now perfection is my new identity. Though the world may not see my inner perfection, they will see my reach righteous deeds because I consider my flesh crucified at Jesus' crucifixion. Yes, it's true that I don't always act like I share in the divine nature, but the greater truth remains. In Christ, I am a new holy creature. So just because I was born a, a sinner because of Adam and Eve doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can't do the impossible and put perfection inside of me. The life that I now live is not based on excuses like nobody is perfect, but rather on Scripture's promises that because of Jesus' one offering, God's elect are made perfect. See, that's what the Bible says. One person, thank you. That's all right. I'm working hard. Working hard. That's what it means to be righteous, right standing with God and perfected in our nature. If you want to understand more about that, I preached a whole series in the identity that Christians now have. We are not the legalistic people trying to point fingers saying we're better than you and we're perfect. That is not the snobby attitude we have. We have an attitude of declaration and humility. I was nothing, but now I'm something in Christ, and I will live up to it. And if I fail, I will repent and be cleansed again because this is who I'm made to be. That is our attitude. And then lastly, we see that we should have right behavior with people. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We're learning right now what it means to be righteous. The first thing that we learned about being righteous is that we are in right standing with God. That because of the gospel, there is a righteousness given to us, an imputation of forgiveness and right standing with God. We secondly, we just learned that we're changed in our nature, made perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect, righteous in who we are. And then lastly, we are to be righteous among people. We are to be kind to them, treating them as we would want to be treated. And this is what Paul taught us here. He said in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, he said, you are witnesses. That means someone could testify and say it's true. He said, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. I want that to be my testimony on my dying day. I want to be able to say to you guys, ladies, sisters, everybody here, you are my witnesses, and so is God, that I was righteous before you. 
I was holy. I was out without blame. That means whatever I did wrong, I was quick to repent of and not live with it. How many have ever had chocolate in their teeth before? It's okay. It happens to everybody, right? I saw it happen to a young lady yesterday, and I didn't say anything because I want to see if somebody else said something because I don't know if it ever got out. But she was like, talking, chocolate was right there. But how many know, like, it's usually the nice thing to say, be like, hey, you got some chocolate in your mouth, you know, in your teeth, you know, get down a little broccoli, whatever. You see, here's the deal. You may be able to say, pastor has messed up. He hasn't always done everything perfect. He has not always followed God's commands perfectly, but he's got the chocolate out of his teeth. He looks at the reflection of God, and when he comes before me, I see a man standing before God righteous and blameless. He's not walking around with that blaring issue in his life that everybody sees. See, that's what Christ is calling us to be. You may say, well, I was born this way. I have an attitude. I have a perverted heart. I have a this or that. It doesn't matter. Be born again and trust Christ. And then when you are struggling with that, do it with transparency. How many sins have I confessed before this congregation over the years? And you know why I can still say I'm blameless? It's because though I made the mistake, I've been washed clean of it. You don't see me continuing in the same thing. It's like how long do you think I could cheat on my wife with a girlfriend before she says it's over? The Bible is saying the same thing. Don't continue in sin and keep washing your hands of your sin to go out and sin again. Sin is not a license. Uh, forgiveness is not a license to sin. It's a transformation of heart and character. Whenever you're, tr whenever you're truly repenting, asking for forgiveness in the Lord's prayer, you should be asking for your heart to change. Because that next part says, it doesn't just say forgive me of sin so I can go back out and do it again. No, it says forgive me of my debts as I forgive those debtors against me and lead me not into temptation. That means give me a transformation of mind to where I am and what I'm doing so I can live righteous. Can I hear an amen? The kingdom of God is about righteousness. How many understand now about righteousness? It's all through Christ. Do you want to live righteous? Do you want to join me on this journey? I mean, hum humbly, do you want to join with me? That Christ will be our righteousness and he'll be our strength. And if we mess up, he'll be our cleansing as well. Does anybody want to do that? How many want some peace today? Can I hear an amen? Here's the three aspects of peace. I don't have time to go through them with righteousness because this is a little bit easier to understand. The three aspects of peace that I want to share with you today is peace from God's wrath. That means God is no longer against you and going to judge you. The Bible says because of the things you did that were sinful, we all deserve the wrath of God. But now because of Christ and his sacrifice, those of us who have come and asked for forgiveness, we're no longer under the wrath of God. And I know today it's not popular to talk about God's judgment because it scares the hell out of me, I know, and it must scare the hell out of them. But listen to me. I think some people need the hell scared out of them, right? They need the hell scared out so they can get the heaven in. I love my children, but I got to spank my children every now and then. God loves us, but he will discipline us. And ultimately, the soul who rejects him gets just what he wanted or she wanted in eternity without him. When we sin, we're really not sinning against a law. We're sinning against a person. See, when my child doesn't clean their room, it's not that you didn't clean your room part that's really the problem. It's they didn't hear my heart to why I wanted them to clean the room. If you think that the Bible is just black and white and that's why we do it, you have missed it. This is the heart of God. When you say, I willingly break the things of God, what you're saying is, I don't care about God's heart. If you can look to the cross and continue in your sin, then you have a mentality that does not belong in heaven. Anytime I look to the cross, I hate my sin. I see what it costs Jesus. I don't look to the cross as a get-out-of-jail-free card and go, thanks, Jesus. I'll be sinning again and coming back to meet you here. You see, the heart that truly understands the cross understands what it means to be forgiven and live transformed. That means we have 
peace with God. I don't have to fear God's wrath. Not because I'm better than you. I'm better off than you because I've come to Christ. I'm not better. I'm just better off. I have been forgiven. I have been changed because I humbled myself. See, some of the hardest people to get to humble themselves are those that think they're not so bad. They, they didn't murder anybody like Hitler. And when you put them next to Hitler, they look good. They say, well, hey, I'm not that bad person. But you're not being compared to that murder, that person. You're getting compared to Jesus. Are you perfect without Christ? So you need the peace of God. The second thing we learn about the peace of God is living with the peace of mind, having the mind of Christ. How many have battles in their mind for their peace? How many have to have real battles up there? I mean this honestly. I wrote a whole message and a sermon series on this. Living with the peace of God. Being at peace within yourself. Free from anxiety. Free from worry. Free from fear. And once again, the examples I use in this sermon, it's not some monk on a mountaintop. I'm using examples of people who have had some of the hardest lives. Like parents losing their children still having inner peace. People struggling with mental difficulties but still having peace. Nothing wrong with a psychiatrist or psychologist, but they'll all tell you the same thing. Medication doesn't bring peace. It only treats the symptoms. The true healing of the mind must come with yourself, recognizing your quote-unquote higher power, who we believe is God, and meditating upon his word. Meditation is not something somebody made up downtown wearing yoga pants. Listen to me. The Bible taught us to meditate from the day it was written, meditating on his presence, meditating upon his word. It is a Christian practice. That's why we pray and close our eyes. It's a part of our hearts calming before God. That's why we're singing songs. We're changing our minds through our songs. We're, we're, we're revamping those things that we have of our past and hurts and memories. The Bible says he can renew the mind. He can make it new. The Bible says that your body should be a living sacrifice and that your mind should be renewed daily in his presence. And what you will notice as you renew your mind in his presence is that it comes with peace. Is that it comes with with a, a well-being of knowing who you are. You're no longer alone. You're no longer feeling like no one gets you anymore. You may come from a terrible background, but peace of God doesn't fix all of those problems. What peace of God does is changes you in here and lets you live with them without the turmoil. I live in a world with problems. The Bible says in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's how I have good cheer in the world because he's overcome the world. I know my identity's in him. I'm secure in him. Can I get an amen? And then lastly, we live with peace with one another. I, I know that it's, it's not a perfect world and not everybody doesn't like us, but the Bible says blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Going back to that divine nature being in us. If my, my son is like me, I should be like God. That's why I'm a son of God. And what is God like? He's a peacemaker. So we should be resolving our conflicts in our families, in our homes. We shouldn't live within the conflict. And then the Bible says when we've done everything that we can, we at least don't have bitterness in, in our heart anymore, the conflict carrying on with us. Because the Bible does say people won't always like us no matter what we do. They crucify Jesus. You don't do that to somebody you love. Have you ever thought about that? If he was such a nice guy that everybody thought was always telling them what they wanted to hear, why did they crucify him? They crucified him, he said, because what I tell you convicts you of your sin. He said, if I was like you saying what you want to hear, you wouldn't kill me, and that's why you love the false prophets. But he said, since I expose your sin, that's why you hate me. He said that. Look it up. Now, how do I have relationship with people if they don't like me? I get free of the bitterness and I trust them to God. But in every situation that I can fix, I will fix it. What do I have to do? Let's get together. The peacemaker at heart says, let's get together and work it out. Can I get the band to come? Somebody say joy. joy. I know I spent a lot of time on those other things, but I really want to close out with joy. 
three aspects of joy, spiritual bliss. How many have ever been in God's presence and you've either wept with joy or you've just laughed or you've really felt God's joy and it was inexpressible? Like five of you, I'm so happy you did. The rest of you, can I have you take a drink of joy today? It's free. It's on the Holy Ghost tap. You can have as much as you like. The Holy Ghost bartender is here. How many would like to have a drink of joy from the Holy Ghost? Amen. I want you to see this right here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. It's the biblical language. I didn't make it up. I want you to see it. Look at it here. This is what Peter said. He said, though you have not seen him. How many of you here, you here have not seen Jesus? I have not seen him. I saw a vision one time, or a dream rather, when I was first saved, but I only saw light, never saw Jesus. Never seen him. So we're all in that category. Though you have not seen him, you love him. How many love him? You say, I haven't seen him. Man, I love him. I've heard the story of how he died for me. I've heard the story about how he forgave sinners like me. Now he promised us new life. You haven't seen him, but you love him. Look what the Bible goes on to say. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what God wants you to have. You may say, well, Pastor, I think Peter's lying because I ain't felt that yet. You know why we have this altar time up here? So you can come and feel that. It's not all about your feelings. Sometimes I don't. But I would say especially if you never have, you need to come up here. Because, man, that's how I got saved was feeling the love of God, feeling the joy. It was, I mean, those are the words. I, I can't use any better words. Inexpressible. Weeping. And I see it so often up here. People are weeping. <laughs> Why are you weeping? I don't know. I just, I just feel God. What are you weeping about? I don't know. Well, I don't know. You know but they're just so happy inside. Healing is coming. Tears are healing and God is present. And it says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That soul is being saved. You felt the wickedness of this world, haven't you? You felt the depression of this world. There's joy in God's presence. The Bible also says there's literally raw excitement. When I was at uh, Applebee's this week on a Wednesday, honestly, I don't care about any sport, but I like to support teams that are winning, right? I'm honestly, I'm like that guy, okay? Go Cubs. Are they winning? Yeah. Or they start losing. Forget about the Cubs. I make fun of them. And you guys can be my witness. How many times have I made fun of them in church? Quite a bit. You know, I don't make fun of the Blackhawks because people, like, people who like the Blackhawks can beat you up. You know what I'm saying? Those are tough people. Don't want to mess with Blackhawk fans and Bears fans. But anyways. I don't care about sports. Honestly, I watch reality TV. I care more about Survivor. I care more about, like, these weird reality shows. I don't even want to tell you all of them because you're going to think I'm bad. But I watch these weird reality cooking shows, like the next Food Network star and all of this stuff. But my point is, like, all of a sudden in that game, Wednesday, even though I know they, they, they lost, but, you know, no, that was at the winning game. That was the winning game. That was the, uh, the wild card game last Wednesday. Thank you. Dude, I wasn't even paying attention. I don't even know, but I think I got it right now. When they hit a home run, that place erupted in Applebee's. And I started clapping my hands. I was like, Yoo! I'm so serious. Because I don't want to be the dork not clapping his hands. I'm clapping my hands. 
And then when I go to the gym, they do the same thing because, like, yesterday they were killing it. And I'm just at the gym. I'm going swimming. I got the towel. I'm just, like, chilling. And I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, yeah, this dude did this and this dude did that. And I'm like, that dude is awesome, isn't he? I'm like, I'm so excited with them. Because I guess I look like a manly dude, you know what I'm saying? They don't know I have this soft, sensitive side in, inside of me, whatever. But my point is, that's emotional excitement. There's nothing wrong with that. Spiritual bliss is deeper because emotional excitement comes and goes. But here's the cool thing about God is you get both. Like literally, I'm excited to be in church today. Some of you come and you don't really have a lot of excitement. And then people start clapping their hands. And you want to clap your hands. And you're like, man, am I being fake? No, it's like me being in the Applebee's. You feel exciting things and you want to be excited. It's fun to be exciting. It's okay to have that. We don't have to grow up and lose our excitement in life. Kids are always excited. And the Bible says to be like them. And if you read the Bible, that's what kept the disciples going a lot of the times. Like right now, ISIS killing our Christian brothers and sisters. That's why I wear this bracelet to symbolize the persecuted church. Well, they were excited. It says in Acts 13, 52, they were getting persecuted. They were killing them. They were full of joy and passion. And they kept preaching because they knew they were on the winning team. And then lastly, there is a joy that I think some of you have still need to feel, and that is the joy of brotherly fellowship, sisterly fellowship. Now, I know some people here today, you have these mixed emotion towards the, the friends that don't go to church and the friends that do go to church. And you may not know us very well right now, the friends that do go to church, and we may not have the same past that you and your non-Christian friends have, but listen to me. Track with us over time and watch what the Christian friends will bring and develop in your life. I'm like you. I have non-Christian friends. I don't live in a bubble, okay? But I am telling you, I am closer to my Christian friends than some of my own family. And the ones that I have tracked with for years now, the same, okay, the same amount of time, like my one friend Wayne, I've been a friend with him since childhood from church. And my other friend, I won't name his name, but he was, he was also in my wedding too. And we were around the same age, friends, right? Well, as time has gone on, it's been like 20, 30 years, I don't know, like eight years ago, I think I met them both around that time. Dude, when I talk to my non-Christian friend, it is literally like, how are you doing? I am doing fine. How is your family? I mean, it's, you know, it's like that. Oh, some tough things with the bills. You know, I mean, that's about as deep as it gets. When I talk to my other friend, we cry on the phone together. We laugh. I mean, it's not just a real, like, shallow laugh. I'm talking like we laugh through the pain. And I know some of you say, well, I still have, I have non-Christian friends like that. Well, okay, just walk with Jesus and tell me what you find. Because I know there's a lot of people in here, too, that would agree that there's nothing like the body of Christ. And the reason it is... It's because we have that blissful joy on the inside. Now, if you have been hurt by other Christians, you come and tell me about them, and I'll go hunt them down. No, I'm kidding. But if you've been hurt by other Christians, I'm sorry. We don't always act perfect. See, that's why I said we don't always act perfect. We don't always act like we should. But I'll tell you, we're worth hanging around with. The church has blessed my life. Not, I'm going to start talking about this church. I've been a Christian a lot longer than I've been a pastor. The church has blessed me, and I could keep you here for days, but I won't with the friendships that I've had and the camaraderie. The kingdom of God is what? Righteousness? What's the next thing? Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's all about a king. His name is Jesus. He came and gave his life for us so that we might lovingly serve him and others with these things, righteousness, peace, and joy. They don't come from human origin or from our own efforts, but rather they come from the Holy Spirit. 
That's what life's about. It's not about winning or losing a World Series. It's not about eating or drinking. It's not about our paychecks. It's not about religiosity or what church we go to or how we sing our song. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. And if you're not in it today, you need to get in it. You could be sitting next to somebody who is in it. My mom and dad, they were dating for a while. My mom, uh, mom was a waitress. My dad hit on her at a restaurant. My dad was cool. Hey, what's going on, good looking? That's my dad hitting on the waitress. My mom's like, no, nah, you don't get none of this, boy. You're just a player. No, I'm kidding. But my mom played hard to give. So my dad kept coming around, sitting in her section. You know what I'm talking about. But then he found out my mom was a Christian. And that's why she was playing so hard to get. Because she had already had a bum marriage. She already dropped out of high school at, six, at 16 to have her first son. She already lived that wild life. She was a Christian now. She knew she had to get a godly man. And so she didn't know much about my dad. So she gave him one date after he pursued her. And on that date, my dad drank too much. And my mom told him, he, she, she said, you will not do that with me. We're done. And my dad said, I want to change. How do I change? She said, you start coming to church with me. And over time, my dad gave his heart to Jesus. He'll be teaching the marriage group, life group, finances next week at the Sunday there. He'll be in the church. Come and talk to him. But you see, my mom was in the kingdom. He wasn't. They were right next to each other. They had commonality, but they were in worlds apart. It wasn't until he came into the kingdom that he understood what it was all about coming to the kingdom. Can I get you all to stand up and give Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, a hand clap today? Come on, can you bless him? Come on, bless him more than you would bless the cubs. Come on, we love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Gloria a Dios. Woo! Altar workers, would you come? Let's pray in closing. Lord, we want to be in your kingdom. We want to be in the kingdom today, right in here, right here, Jesus, in my cortisone, in my heart, Jesus. I want the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I need it. I need it. I need it. I pray for all my brothers and sisters, all visitors here today, that no one leaves out without the kingdom of God. Righteousness, right standing with you, the perfection of our nature living righteous with our brothers and sisters, peace on the inside, peace from your wrath, O oh God, peace in our mind and peace with our brothers and sisters in this world. Enjoy, God, joy, spiritual bliss, inexpressible, full of glory, joy, O oh God, excitement to serve you, Jesus, and hanging out and sharing fellowship with your people. I need it. Oh, God, I need it. Just take a few moments. Let God know if you need it today. I need it so bad. Oh, I need it today as if I was getting saved for the first time. Oh, man, I need Jesus. I need you, God. I need you. I need you, God. I need you.
other Sunday. presence today God come on parents if, we, if you're with your teenager or young person lay your hand on them come on children need you today God if you're with your husband or wife hold their hand come on your your marriage needs Jesus we need you we need you we don't want a substitute we don't want a cheap imitation we want all of you though we've never seen you we love you. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you, God. If this was make-believe, I wouldn't be here today, God. But I know that you're real. I know that you're real. I know that you change lives. I know that you change lives. I know that you bring your kingdom to our hearts, God through the Holy Spirit. Oh, through the Holy Spirit, the righteousness of God, the peace of God, the joy of God comes. Before we go today, I'm going to pray a simple prayer, kind of tying into last week. But if you would like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in other tongues, as we talked about last week, the power of the kingdom, or today, if you would like to receive prayer, to have faith, to enter into righteousness, peace, and joy. We're just going to pray and dismiss. And as we do, I'll just ask, please, would you come? Let one of these brothers or sisters pray for you. Let them pray for you. You're not alone. You're not going through this alone. Whether you need peace of mind, whether you've been depressed lately, whether you need to be forgiven of a sin and you just want help, God is here to use the church. That's the approval we were talking about. You will please God and be approved by men. That's the other part. So let me pray and you decide what you need to do. Either way, we love you so much. Lord, bless us as we go. We've, we've prayed, we've sung, we've heard your word. I pray now we all have your kingdom in our hearts, that no one leaves without it because you've invited us all to come. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Would you bless him one more time? Come on. Can you slap your neighbor high five and say, be about the kingdom? Come on, be about that kingdom. God bless you as you go. We're going to worship. If you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, have a great week. I need you, God. Just a few more times. Come on. I need you, God. I need you. I need you, God.
Come on, just one more time. And I need you, God, I need you. I need you, God, I need you. God bless you as you have to go. Those who are praying, come on up. We're going to sing this next part. Come on. Righteousness and peace and joy is in your kingdom. Righteousness and peace and joy is in your kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy is in your kingdom. Righteousness, peace, joy is in your kingdom. Righteousness. Yeah. 